This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us. I pray that you would once again speak to us through it by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. A question. How good are you at multitasking? Uh, Some of you, I should imagine, think you're pretty good at it. Uh, Some of you may be texting right now as I speak. Some of you may be texting and checking your Instagram feed and looking at the bulletin to see what songs we're singing at communion while listening to me, uh, demonstrating at least to yourselves just how good you are at multitasking. Well, I hate to burst your bubble this morning, but if that's how you're thinking, you're deluding yourself. You're not as good at multitasking as you think you are. And if you don't want to take my word for it, that's fine. Then listen to what MIT professor and neuroscientist Earl Miller has to say about this. I highly commend uh, any of his podcasts. I listened to one last week. It was very sobering. He says this, people can't multitask very well. And when people say they can, they're deluding themselves. And he adds, the brain is very good at deluding itself. (laughs) Professor Miller says that for the most part, we simply can't focus on more than one thing at a time. And when we do, he says, what we're actually doing is shifting our focus from one thing to the next with astonishing speed, switching from task to task. And then you think you're paying attention to everything around you at the same time, but you're actually not. In an article entitled The Myth of Multitasking, Christine Rosen, writing in the New Atlantist, a journal of technology and society, said this. When we talk about multitasking, we're really talking about attention, the art of paying attention, the ability to shift our attention, and more broadly, to exercise judgment about what objects are worthy of our attention. People who have achieved great things often credit their success with a finely honed skill for paying attention. Isaac Newton said of his discoveries, it was owing more to patient attention than to any other talent. I think we desperately need to learn or perhaps relearn the art of paying attention. Each of our scripture readings this morning urge us to do just that. And from these scriptures, I want to draw out three things. First, we need to pay attention to what is going on around us. Second, we need to pay attention to what God may be saying to us. And third, we need to pay attention to how we will respond to what God is saying. So first, paying attention to what's going on around us. I think for many people, it often takes a disaster or a tragedy to get their attention. And the closer to home the bad news, the more likely we are to pay attention. And some people came to Jesus one day and told him about two particular tragedies. And in our gospel reading, we learn that one of them concerned 
brutal political murders and the other a terrible accident at a construction site. And in the first case, Pilate had had devout Jews cold-bloodedly murdered while they were at prayer in the temple. And in the second example, a tower topples over and kills 18 people. And Jesus says to them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you. All those 18 who were killed in the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. Well, why then? Why did these innocent people suffer? And it's really the age-old question. Why do bad things happen to good people? And yet, perhaps our very question betrays our lack of understanding. Surely the point is, in one sense at least, that none of us is truly innocent. There's no such thing as good people. The Bible's very clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, of course, this is not um, all that we could say about suffering and the nature of God. Far from it. But in the context of our readings that are appointed for today, I want us to pay attention to how Jesus responded to these difficult questions and these situations. And that's my second point this morning. We need to pay attention to what God may be saying to us. Instead of answering why these things happen to other people, Jesus says in each case that unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Don't you hate that? I mean, I'd rather sit around and have a great philosophical, theological discussion about all this. You know, we could talk about the nature of suffering, the sovereignty of God, free will, predestination, and we could really have at it. And Jesus comes along and says, stop it. Pay attention. What about you? The massacre at the temple and the tower the collapse were salutary reminders to those listening to Jesus of the fragility of life. You know, this has been a, a difficult week in our, in our city with the trial of Michael Rosfeld for the shooting of Anton Rose. And when tragedies come upon others, I wonder, do you get stuck asking why? Or might you be willing at least for a moment, to ask yourself another question. What about my life? What if I should die tonight? What if I should lose a loved one? Now, I'm not saying that we should be unconcerned about others. Of course not. Nor am I suggesting that we shouldn't speak up against injustice or work to change oppressive institutions or laws or anything else. But I think the problem so often for well-educated, moderately articulate, slightly opinionated people like me, or, or maybe some of you even, is that we kind of get caught up in trying to fix everything from our armchairs or maybe behind our computer screens while paying no attention to what's wrong in us. 
rather than trying to figure out the answers to unfathomable questions, Jesus tells us in this passage that we're to be concerned about our own lives and our own standing before God. Twice, Jesus says, unless you repent, you will perish. So next time a headline event happens or a crisis comes upon your own life, as well as as paying attention to that event or illness or circumstance, I think we need to ask ourselves this second question. What might God be saying to me or my family or our church family through this? The attack at the mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand, the shooting around the corner at the Tree of Life Synagogue, and the attack that Pilate orchestrated at the temple of which we read in the gospel are but three examples of the violence and evil that has beset the human race since man turned his back on God in the Garden of Eden and thought he knew best. And alongside those headline horrors, daily we experience or hear reports of accidents, natural disasters, illness, betrayal, failure, disappointment. There's nothing new under the sun. And there will always be all kinds of things we encounter in life that are not our fault, that we cannot control, and we cannot fix. So what then? Well, I think there are some things that we do that we should stop doing. We often listen to the wrong songs that play in our heads, and they can so easily get stuck on automatic playback. So we hear the blame song, or the I can fix it song, or the all is lost song, whichever songs we are most prone to listen to. But instead of listening to those songs, we need to be paying attention to God and sing the songs of hope and trust and freedom and the songs of God's faithfulness. In the midst of life, with all its many distractions, detours, and demons, we need to learn again the art of paying attention. And this challenge is present in all three of the readings today. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wants his readers to pay attention to what happened to the people of Israel after they were led out of Egypt toward the Promised Land. And he wants them to learn from the mistakes of their ancestors. And then in the epistle reading, um, he he goes on warning against complacency in the face of sin. We must not put Christ to the test. We must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did. And then Paul adds this further warning. If you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. But with that, and I want you to hear that, this, with that, he also offers words of hope and encouragement. As he says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. And I think the part of finding that way out demands that we pay attention And it's not just in the face of hardship or testing that we need to pay attention. We need to practice the art of paying attention every day. We live at a time when 
many people are hyper-distracted, perhaps more so than ever before, for all the amazing advances of technology and all the good that has come through much of it. Some of these advances are not as ethically, morally, or spiritually neutral as we might like to think. The ways we use and abuse social media in general, or our smartphones in particular, can be anything but neutral. Indeed, they can become a cruel taskmaster or a curse. How are you going to pay attention to God this week? Let's not kid ourselves that we can multitask. We really can't. It's not possible. Computers multitask. People don't. You can't be on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter while tweeting, Snapchatting, texting, emailing, and video chatting and expect to produce quality work. More importantly, much more importantly, none of us can live this way and expect to have quality relationships with other people or even with God. Now, I know in saying this, some of you think I'm just a complete dinosaur. But I have MIT professors, Isaac Newton, and Moses on my side. So get with it. The account of God speaking to Moses from the burning bush is an excellent case study in what I'm talking about and how we can practice the art of paying attention in the midst of the ordinary. Moses was minding his own business. He's looking after the sheep uh, when he notices something, something rather odd. A bush was on fire. Now, he could have said, that's odd, and carried on walking. Or Moses could have got hung up on why the bush was burning, on what had caused it to burn, and on why it wasn't burning itself out, on whether other bushes might catch fire, while dealing perhaps with a few recalcitrant sheep and checking out the best footpaths ahead, and gone on his merry, multitasking little way. Or he could do what he in fact did, which was to pay attention, was to stop, to look, to listen. What God had to say, well, it was huge, but amongst the many things that the import of this was that it was actually very encouraging and very full of hope. Just imagine Moses standing on that holy ground, no doubt petrified. He was clearly in awe of what he saw and in hearing God's voice. I like to think of Moses actually having tears streaming down his face as he thought of his people who were slaves back in Egypt, where they'd been for the 40 years while he was hiding in the desert. You remember, that's why he was there. He'd actually, in a fit of temper, killed someone and had fled. And this is 40 years later. And God says to him that he has observed the misery of his people. He has heard their cry, and he knows their sufferings. And he's going to do something about it. God was going to rescue them. This was good news to the ears of Moses. And then God says, so come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses completely freaks out. Whoa, wait a minute. What is God saying? I mean, it was great up until that point. God observing their misery, yes. 
God hearing their people's cry? Yes. God knowing about their sufferings? Yes. God coming to deliver them? Yes. God involving Moses in this? When we practice the art of paying attention to what's going on around us and to what God may be saying in and through those things, then we have to face the third aspect of being attentive. How will we respond? You see, Moses didn't at that point want any part in God's plan. Verse 11, but Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And then verse 13, but Moses said, what shall I say to them? And Moses continues with his whining and his whinging and his questions for another whole chapter before he finally agrees to do what God was asking him to do. I wonder, what might God be asking you to do? Maybe in the face of some disaster or sin or hurt in in your life. Perhaps there is something specific that comes to your mind. And, and if it does, then I encourage you to bring that to the Lord and ask him to help you to know and to do what it is he's calling you to. Or perhaps you're not sure what the things you're paying attention to really mean. But you know, there's one thing that we can all be sure of, and it's this. God wants us, every single one of us and us together, to bear fruit. Indeed, that's what Jesus went on to talk about after the discussion about the temple massacre and the fatal accident at the Tower of Siloam. You see, we can't get stuck in these important things. We have to get regrounded and rerouted in that which God has made us for and who he's made us to be. A fig tree that doesn't produce figs is a waste of space and ought to be cut down. That's a sobering challenge. It's a sobering challenge for me. It's a sobering challenge, I think, for all of us. If we fail to pay attention, if we fail to heed God's call first and foremost and again and again to repentance and we bear no fruit, then we too face destruction. But the good news is that it's not too late. In the parable, the gardener pleads for more time. And as today's psalm reminded us, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The wonderful thing is that God does not deal with us as we deserve. Psalm 103, verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And so for us now, there is still time to bear fruit, but there will not always be time. The fig tree in the parable was given a year. We don't know how long each of us has to bear the fruit that God wants to see. We don't know if we will be persecuted or have a shooter attack us or have a building collapse on us, or be involved in a car wreck, or get sick. We don't know how long it will be before Jesus comes again. 
And so the challenge to us is to let the calamities and the uncertainties of life be a warning and a call to repent, lest we too perish. So this week, pay attention and humbly come before God, willing to be used by him to bring his healing, his grace, and his love to others, so that when he returns, he may find you fruitful. Another simple way you might remember this, and it really comes from some of the Ignatian practices of how we relate to God, is this. Pause, reflect, respond. We pay attention to what we see. We reflect on that. We pay attention to where God is in the midst of it. And then we respond. And finally, in all of this, we can have great hope for our God is faithful. As in the days of Moses, so still today, God observes our misery, hears our cries, knows our suffering, and he has come down in Jesus to deliver us from the slavery of sin and shame. Thanks be to God. Amen.